Pergamon Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, March 4th, the year of our Lord, 2021, jam-packed as always. We remind you, as I have pretty much every show for like a month now, off-season, not real. Merely a figment of your imagination. And I'm going to prove it to you again tonight because we have, as I said once again, a jam-packed show. Uh, I'm also going to do a little housekeeping in about... 30 seconds, so stay tuned for that. I mean, what else do you have to do over the next 30 seconds? we got a lot of quarterback battles going on. Coast to coast, all the major programs, or at least a critical mass of the major programs, the ones that you would figure to be Tier 1, Tier 2, in some cases Tier 3 contenders, they have got quarterback situations to figure out. Mind you, we don't call them controversies here, just competitions. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss what in the world Dan Mullen's doing at Florida. There's just, I don't know, some things that don't quite seem right there. So I've Thought we needed to take tonight and delve into that a little bit further. It is Clemson Mood Tracker Night on the show. And we're also going to revisit something I put out on Twitter a little bit earlier today. As I was outside jogging, getting a sunburn, by the way, in Nashville, the same city I built a pretty impressive snowman in last week, by the way. As I was getting that sunburn today, I was thinking to myself, let me pop this out on Twitter and just ask people maybe if they're in the same line of thinking that I am. And here's the thought. We're going to go to the end of the show, so you have plenty of time to think about it if you're watching live or if you're listening on the recorded version or on podcast. What would your ideal college football playoff be, but not as a fan? Let's say you run uh, the entity that owns the college football playoff. Doesn't even have to be ESPN. You bought it. You own it. You've you paid all those billions of dollars. Now you want to maximize the return on your investment. Then think to yourself, which programs would you want in there? I had my take. I'll give it to you a little bit later on, but I got some interesting feedback on that. And it seemed like most people grasped the concept. Like we didn't get any submissions for Western Michigan. Kent State did not make the cut. And I know good and well you guys are out there because I hear from you all the time. So you got the general concept, but man, there were some swinging philosophies on this. And I don't necessarily know if they were of the most sound business mind, but that's okay. It's your contract. It's your playoff. So before we dive in tonight, I want to remind you, as I told you I would do, the Late Kick Zoom special. We have a fancy title for it. Colin, we just arrived at the title like 10 minutes ago, so we think it's really fancy. This is going to go down Monday night. It's not going to be live. We're going to record it Monday night. It's going to be very laid back. It's going to be Q&A, and it's going to be you and I um, talking face-to-face or as close as we can get to it during a pandemic. So email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com if you want in on this. We're going to have somewhere between 10 and 20 of you. We're going to get as many of you in as possible. Producer Jordan, who does a wonderful job on the Late Kick podcast, he is going to moderate this. Uh, It's still up in the air whether you'll see his face or not. You know how we feel about production having their faces seen around here. But get your email submissions in. We're going to give it about another 24 hours, and then we're going to start selecting. We will send you all the information, and so we'll line that up for Monday night. And basically what it's going to be, It can be Q&A if you want it to. You can debate me if you want to. Probably not the best format to come in and drop a random F-bomb because it's going to be pre-recorded, so that would be cut out. Had someone do that to me in live television down in Columbus once upon a time. I didn't have to pay the fine, so it was okay with me. Uh, WLTZ, not so happy about it. But get those email submissions in, and we'll let you know when we finally shave down that list. And it's lottery, so we're not doing favoritism around here. But we're looking forward to that because that's something we've been working on for about a month. All right, let's dive in and let's talk about quarterback battles. This is going to be a really good year of college football. I know it's still spring. Some teams haven't even started spring, but a lot of you cry for parity. You really want parity. You watched Alabama pull in another national championship a couple of months ago, and you said, man, we got to get some parity in this sport. Well, what if I told you it's here, or at least the ingredients for it are here? I can't guarantee that there's going to be a different outcome, but you guys want more teams in the dance. That's what you really ask for. If there's one common theme, that's what I hear a lot. Well, If you want parity, how about I tell you this, okay? 
Again, can't guarantee the outcome. But if I told you Ohio State, let's see all these teams. Ohio State, Oregon, LSU, Michigan, Texas, Texas A&M, Florida State. Like there are so many programs out there that have bona fide quarterback battles on their hands. Jesse is showing you the graphic right now if you're watching on YouTube. And by the way, as you're looking at this graphic, you see the Buckeyes, Ducks, you see the Horns there, LSU, Michigan. You don't even see Alabama, but yet they're breaking in a new quarterback. You don't even see you don't even see Clemson there, but yet they are really breaking in a new quarterback and DJ Uyangalale. And so there are a lot of places out there where it's kind of just already assumed we know who has a leg up, probably to an 80% degree of who's going to start. We're just talking about the ones tonight out of the major programs that have wide open battles. So let's dive into this a little bit because I know maybe in spring, like a lot of you haven't gone out to the grocery store and you haven't picked up your preview magazine. You can't, they're not out yet. And you, you probably haven't just taken too deep a dive. There's this, there's this pandemic. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's still around, all kinds of things going on in your life. You just plan to go to the beach sometime in July. And that's when you'll officially catch up on all of 2021 college football. But no, you're not, because we're going to spoil it for you right now. Ohio State, this is probably one of the most consequential quarterback battles in America this year. There's a great piece, by the way, that kind of corresponds with what we're going to talk about tonight on 247sports.com. As of 30 minutes ago, it was on the front page still. I'm looking at it, so it has to be there. Ohio State, I mean, Justin Fields out. Obviously, he's off to the NFL. And this is so huge, because again, this is the preseason favorite in all likelihood to win the Big Ten, and yet you nor I know who's going to start at quarterback for him right now. Important to note with a lot of these quarterback battles that I'm talking about, these are going to be quarterback battles where they are battles because there are multiple legit options. It's not choosing from the lesser of four evils or something like that. So again, Clemson, Bama, they got things figured out. Ohio State, they have several talented options here, but none of them have really taken a snap in college football. You got C.J. Stroud. These are all names that you recognize. Jack Miller's there. Kyle McCord's there. These were guys when they came out of high school that had a lot of stars next to their name. These are guys that have been handpicked, obviously, by Ryan Day. But again, I go back to this point. And this is going to be something that's harped on a lot. This is why it's so pivotal, obviously, for a program like Ohio State to get a full spring this year. They didn't have to have that last year. It would have been nice, but they knew Justin Fields was the man. This year, not so much. So you got a lot of raw but talented options there. Uh, there is no time for the real sharp learning curve. Ohio State's they're contending every year, and they've got the pieces elsewhere. And so this is one, I think, probably from the national landscape, this is one that will have the finest micro, uh, what am I looking for? Microscope on it. There we go. Not microphone. Uh, but that'll be really, really hotly contested and it'll be watched as much as, probably more so, but to me, as much as the one at Oregon. So Oregon's one we've already talked about. At Oregon, Ty Thompson is brand new on campus. A lot of people are already kind of trying to coronate him as the presumed starter for Mario Cristobal and the Ducks. I haven't certainly gone that far yet. I think he is if I had to bet money, eventually going to take starting snaps at some point in the 2021 season. But right now, there are a couple of names associated here, like like Jay Butterfield, uh, Robbie Ashford. Those are names, if you talk to Oregon insiders, they'll tell you, hey, don't sleep on those guys. And I'm not. But if you nailed me down and had me pick two names, it's going to be Anthony Brown, or it's going to be, in all likelihood, Ty Thompson. And so I want to note one thing uh, that, again, let me see who did this. I think it was Hummer that did it. Yeah, so Chris Hummer wrote this article that's on the front page right now, and he made a good point. And this is a point that I think you're going to hear repeatedly over the offseason when I think it eventually is whittled down to Anthony Brown or Ty Thompson. Thompson 
is Joe Moorhead's guy. Joe Moorhead is the offensive coordinator there, entering his second year. First time he'll get a spring with any of these guys, but that is the guy. Now, that doesn't always mean everything because this time last year, there was a situation at Alabama where Mac Jones had been there for like, it felt like a decade and waited his turn, and everyone was saying, to be honest, yours truly included, I think Bryce Young will eventually be the starter there. Why? Well, A, because he's really talented, and B, because he's Sark's guy. So that doesn't always mean anything. Uh, but I, it doesn't mean nothing. Let me put it that way. So Ty Thompson, I think it's a matter of when, not if with him. But Anthony Brown's not going to go quietly there at all. And those other two guys, I think, will play roles. There's a common theme, again, throughout all this with these quarterback competitions. For all I know, Mario Cristobal has it in his gut already who's going to start for him. doesn't really matter. You got to earn the job. You got to win the job first off. You have to execute at the highest level, give the team a best chance to win, but you got to also win that locker room. Like those guys have to believe in it too. How about LSU? LSU totally fell off the map last year relative to where they had been in 2019. They lost Miles Brennan after three games. So let's reverse, okay? Let's just let's just put the car in reverse. Let's go back in time. Miles Brennan was not playing bad football at all. They were losing, but it certainly wasn't because of offensive ineptitude. And then after three games, Miles Brennan goes down. And at the time, based on the rumors, it was, oh, Miles Brennan's out this week and next week. And then all of a sudden, it turned into a season-ending injury. And you would assume, because Ed Orgeron kept saying, well, Miles Brennan's our starting quarterback. If and when he can come back, he's our starting quarterback. Uh, well, then he never came back. And it would be just widely presumed that it's his job this year, and it may still be. Like, I think he's probably, if you polled LSU fans, the leader in the clubhouse. But it's really hard to forget a couple of things for me. It's really hard to forget that trip to Gainesville when they went in there severely undermanned and also a 24-some-odd point underdog, and they beat Florida outright with Max Johnson pulling the trigger at quarterback. And then they also really ran it up against Ole Miss. And so those are the lasting impressions in my mind of Max Johnson to the point where, like, I think they have a legitimate competition right there at quarterback too at LSU. And so I know Finley kind of figures in that mix as well. I personally look at it and I say, it's probably going to be Johnson. And if not Johnson there, then I think Miles Brennan, uh, I think Miles Brennan's going to be their starting quarterback. Like if there's nothing more that needs to be known about him health wise, Miles Brennan was named starter last year for a reason. These guys were on campus last year. Miles Brennan won the job last year. So I would assume he can win the job again this year, doing the same thing he did to win it the first time. However, and this is important to keep in mind, not just a new offensive coordinator at LSU, an entirely new coaching staff at LSU. So again, bear in mind, it could be very much a work in progress. Uh, you don't know, obviously you don't have anything figured out throughout spring. Like this is something that's probably going to bleed well into fall camp. The quarterback battle I'm most excited to watch in America this season is Michigan. And Michigan probably convoluted this thing even more for outsiders this past week when you looked at your eye, Josh, and you said, what's this breaking news out of Ann Arbor? Oh my goodness, Alan Bowman. Alan, the, the Texas Tech kid? Yeah, that kid. Alan Bowman is transferring to Michigan. Wait a second. I already thought we had two quarterback options up there. I mean, we had, so J.J. McCarthy, big five-star, stud true freshman's coming in. Uh, Cade McNamara played some good ball at times for him last year. I thought that was going to be the battle. Well, it is. We're just going to throw a third ingredient into the mix here. And here's why this is unique. With some of these other quarterback battles, if we put odds on these quarterback battles, you know, even though... Um, in some cases, it's a battle. You would go 75%, 25% in terms of who you think has the best chance of starting at Michigan. I don't know that we don't have 
a really, really even three-way split right now. Bowman can play football for you. Like, you're not taking a transfer that can't play for you. And so Jim Harbaugh and his offensive coaching staff there, they brought in the, the transfer this past week. And then you've got J.J. McCarthy, who a lot of Michigan fans are pulling for to start just because of the hype that any five-star true freshman quarterback comes in with. And then Cade McNamara is a guy that showed he can be trusted last year. I know he didn't have stats that just like make your eyes pop out of your head, but here's one stat he had. I think it was a goose egg in the turnover column. I didn't think he threw, I didn't think he threw a single interception. And so like those three, that's the reason it's most exciting to me. It, it is very much a make or break year for that coaching staff. I think they're well aware of that. And so the whole, the whole focal point there for Michigan and all the fans up there know it is, all right, which way is Harbaugh going to go? What does he value the most? Does he value the guy that has the most upside, even if he's a little green early on, or does he go with the guy that, you know, maybe has the lower ceiling, but he can just trust not to lose games? Because you don't have a job to lose. He does. They do as that coaching staff. That's going to be something really, really interesting to watch. And for an outsider, it's going to be fun to watch. Last but not least, I could go all day on this because we're not even hitting some of the other programs. Texas. Texas is a place where uh, midpoint of last year, if Ellinger didn't come back, which he ended up not coming back, you would have thought, man, this is going to be this is going to be a really interesting quarterback battle. Well, now that you saw what Casey Thompson did in the bowl game, uh, it's kind of a Thompson versus Hudson card. But this is one where I think 80 plus percent of the money would come in on Casey Thompson, probably more than 80 percent. And I agree with that. Like, I think he's the guy. But here's the other element to keep in mind. This is a place where obviously you have an entirely new coaching staff, head coach included. So obviously the offensive coaching staff's different. I know what we saw in the bowl game. I know how good Casey Thompson looked. I remember the the um, the phone blowing up and people saying, wait a second, if this is what Texas is going to have at quarterback next year, God bless Sam Ellinger. He's been here. I mean, it's the best decade of his career has been the one he spent in college. But could it be that this is one of those situations where it's an upgrade? Like, because like Casey Thompson, man, the ball he's playing right now in this bowl game, I don't know that we saw our offense consistently operate at this level all year. Hey, I don't know if that's what we should expect as, as the norm for Texas offensively this year. But I will say, with this new coaching staff coming in, and also, um, it's kind of a side note, knowing how loaded the state of Texas is next year, it's going to be so imperative for Steve Sarkeesian and that offense out of the gate to show that they are capable of every bit the kind of explosion offensively at Texas with him as the head man as he was at Alabama when he was just calling the shots as offensive coordinator. Those are just some of the quarterback battles that we'll be keeping an eye on. And I know that it seems like a lot and that's cause it is a lot. So if you want parity, again, you can't in good conscience say all oh, the playoffs already decided when we have no clue who's starting a quarterback for many of the teams that you would presume to be favorites and at the programs where we do presumably know who the starters are, like Alabama with Bryce Young, DJ Uyangalale over at Clemson, they haven't even been starters full-time yet. So if you want parity, go take the spots from those teams. That's what I'm telling you to do. All right, let's move on. Got a little worked up there at the end. Um, if you are a Northwestern Wildcat fan, you probably do not really firmly grasp the situation around Florida football. If you're a Utah Utes fan, you probably don't know that there are a lot of people kind of bent out of shape around Florida. But believe me, there are a lot of people bent out of shape around Florida. We live in very, very strange times. We were running through the graphics before the show. Jesse's popping them up there. He's saying, look at this. And so we got Dan Mullen's record over the past few years. And 
I just want to take you back to August. Before we show you any of that, I want to take you back to August. First off, we were scared and wondering whether we were going to have a season or not. Okay, we got the season. So let's just assume we knew in August we were going to have the season. Do you remember what the talk about Florida was? All the talk amongst Florida fans, myself included, on this show was, is this a make-or-break year for Dan Mullen? And those who answered yes to that question, the follow-up, the context, the backdrop with which that question was being answered is, yes, it's a make-or-break year because this is the year we have to beat Georgia and win the SEC East. So imagine your shock if I told you you're going to beat Georgia, you're going to win the SEC East, and your quarterback, Kyle Trask, is going to be a Heisman finalist, and yet there's going to be every bit as much unrest, and there's going to be every bit as much scrutiny, if not a little bit more, on Dan Mullen entering 2021 as there is right now entering 2020. What planet would you think that that prediction was coming from? As it turns out, right here on Mother Earth. That's what's happening right now. Now, again, if you're a Northwestern fan, Utah fan, you may not realize this is happening. However, very nuanced situation. And once you zoom in and you get closer to Gainesville, I'm going to tell you why there's a little unrest. So yeah, they certainly beat Georgia last year. Yeah, they won the SEC East. They went and played Alabama as competitive as any team all year played Alabama. They, they, they were within a possession of winning the SEC championship. But the uh, equity that Dan Mullen should have built, really, with those results, it evaporated. It was a, a net no gain for him because he threw it all away, and they threw it all away against LSU, and then they obviously lost in the SEC title game and then totally no-showed the bowl game against Oklahoma. So nothing really changed there. All that goodwill and all that equity that was built up, I mean, it kind of got evaporated with those three very, very disappointing outcomes consecutively, by the way, at the end of the year. And remember what was on the line in the LSU game. They had a chance to be a playoff team even if they lost to Alabama. Not after the LSU game, they didn't. And so all that happened, and nothing's really changed in recruiting, like Florida still is who they are in recruiting. Looked like they were about to be kings of the transfer portal, and then Eric Gilbert threw up the deuces. Still got DeMarcus Bowman, but it kind of remains to be seen how that's going to pan out long term. And 2020 was just an optics disaster. I don't talk about this a whole lot on the show, but I really think it matters here. There was that ugly scene against Missouri. Maybe some of you have forgotten. So let me walk you down the trail of why things still involve a lot of scrutiny for Dan Mullen. They had that really ugly scene against Missouri where uh, Dan Mullen, you know, I won't go as far as to say he instigated things. He certainly did nothing to quell what was happening at midfield there. And so they had that. And when I say ugly, I want you to put yourself in the position of an athletic director, of a, a high-level donor, of a longtime alum at Florida, and folks who buy those skyboxes. I'm not, I'm not talking about sophomores in college here, okay? When I'm talking about the optics, I'm talking about the lenses through which these sorts of people, and when I say these sorts of people, I mean the ones directly involved with how many zeros are on your paycheck, how they view it. So remember what it looked like against Missouri. Uh, they totally no-showed against LSU. I thought it was probably uh, the single biggest, I don't want to say lapse in judgment. It was just a lapse in Dan Mullen's coaching career. Because what he allowed to do, which you can't have happen ever, uh, but especially with the stakes that high and and the, the safety net under you completely gone, you can't no-show those games. Or worse, you can't allow your team to show up thinking, all right, well, our helmet's here, so we'll win this thing because we're 24.5-point favorites. It's not the way it works. They had seen Alabama splatter LSU all over Tiger Stadium a couple of weeks earlier, but yet you remember the pregame there. Nick Saban walks in and says, 
we think LSU believes they got a shot to beat us tonight, so we're going to have to change the way they think. Like Alabama was a death machine when they came into LSU. Florida showed up for, for like a carnival. That's kind of the mood. That, that was kind of the way they carried themselves. And so LSU gets up on them. Uh, you remember the infamous shoe throw. But, man, like that game never never belonged in the balance. Marco Wilson should have been able to throw that shoe out of the stadium if he wanted to. It should have never decided that game. So then that happens, but it wasn't over yet. You also remember several really weird post-game interactions and comments throughout the season. Uh, dressed as Darth Vader, by the way, at one point. I'm not a big Star Wars guy, so that bent me the wrong way. And then you had the situation against Oklahoma. Once you have lost the opportunity to go to the playoff, once you've lost the SEC championship, you go up against Oklahoma, you have massive amounts of opt-outs, and then you tell the assembled media there afterwards, well, you know, this wasn't really Florida who played today. Florida's last game was in the SEC championship, which was really a pathetic thing to say. I don't care if that's the way you felt. That's a pathetic thing to say. And so here was my conclusion for all this. Yeah, I acknowledge all that happened. I think there's a very obvious reason why it happened, and it's this. I don't think Dan Mullen planned on being the Florida head coach in 2021. Whether he ended up getting the attention he thought he would from the NFL or not, I think he thought he was going to get it. And it's the same way, if you're of any age out there, you've probably been a senior in high school at some point in your life. And that last semester, your senior year in high school, you know the disease. It's called senioritis. Pretty much all of us who aren't trying to get into Harvard have had it. Dan Mullen had it last year. Dan Mullen really didn't pay much attention to what the consequences were going to be for the way that he talked or the way he carried himself because he knew two things, or at least he thought he knew two things. One, we're winning on the field. Who cares? I got a quarterback that's about to be a Heisman finalist. We got a shot to win everything we have never won here before under me. And number two, I ain't going to be here next year anyway. Well, they didn't win those things. Kyle Trask didn't win the Heisman and Dan Mullen steer there at 2021. Now, you guys hopefully never had to repeat 12th grade. Well, Dan Mullen, uh, he, he had the senioritis, but yet now he has to come back. And he doesn't come back to a loaded roster either. He comes back with a team full of question marks. Um, there is no contract extension. That's the other really underlying issue. It's kind of simmering down there right now. Again, if you're at Northwestern or Utah and you're, you just acknowledge Florida's existence, but you don't really follow the program, you probably haven't heard about this. But Dan Mullen is a lot closer to the end of his contract than most major head coaches get. I think he's three years away from the end. That sounds like a long time. You know, like in our business, we work on two-year contracts most of the time. Well, in the head coaching industry, it's a little bit different. There are a few more zeros, and there are a few more bits of security added into those contracts. Well, Dan Mullen, he's kind of been vocal in guarded terms, but he's kind of been vocal in the preseason or in the lead-up to spring about how he's not happy with it. Uh, but, you know, that administration also has spoken through action. They haven't extended him. So obviously they want to see more. They're not overly thrilled with the way that last season went. And so we arrive at 2021. You got to, obviously, offensive line's always been an issue for them. You got to completely rebuild your defense and retool, rather, your defense. I don't care if all those guys would have come back. And also, you got Emory Jones at quarterback now. So there are a lot of things to figure out here for Florida. And you have, again, the backdrop of now expectation. And so Dan Mullen had a couple of double-digit win seasons where they didn't accomplish what they wanted him to. Jesse's showing you right now. Think about this. 2018, they go 10-3, and they finish 7th. And then 2019, they go 11-2, and and they finish 6th. And so what was the talk? The talk was, all right, so we've gotten to a couple of New Year's 6 games. We've won double-digit games. We've won both the New Year's 6 games. What is left to accomplish? Aside from a national title, what we need to accomplish is we need to beat Georgia, 
We need to win the SEC East. And the true irony, in Atlanta's fashion here, is that the year where they accomplished both those, it's by far the least attractive-looking year on this chart that Jesse's showing you. They go 8-4 and four last year, and they finish outside the top 10. Uh, they lose, embarrassingly, against Oklahoma and the Cotton Bowl. So now, where are we? I leave the segment the same way I entered the segment. You tell me. I, I, will, I will be glad to read your submissions, especially Florida fans, in the comment section here. I did the mood tracker a couple of weeks ago. Uh, enough has changed since then that I thought we needed to revisit Florida. Where is Florida and Dan Mullen entering 2021? Your guess is as good as mine. The Mood Tracker series continues tonight. Mood Tracker's been really fun, but I'll tell you what we haven't hit. We have not hit the Clemson Tigers yet. So we got to do Clemson tonight. Very simple one here. I did not even need to go to the boards to get this one because I know exactly where Clemson is because I talked to a lot of Clemson fans. In fact, per capita, I would imagine I talked to as many Clemson fans outside of like the teams I used to cover, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, probably talked to as many Clemson fans as any collective fan base out there. And I think right now, the way that I want to sum up the mood for Clemson is phase two, entering phase two. Talked about this a little bit on the Late Kick Extra podcast this morning, but I wanted to go in depth a little bit more tonight. Uh, One of my favorite movie posters of all time is A River Runs Through It with Brad Pitt. It's a guy fly fishing, I think in Montana, somewhere in uh, an area where I'd love to live one day. And it's just a guy, it's just a silhouette, and he's fly fishing, and you know the, the, uh, the line is whipping through the air. And the caption on the movie poster says, nothing perfect lasts forever except in our memory. I bought the movie poster before I had ever seen the movie. That's how much I love the movie poster. It hung on my wall in my bedroom my entire childhood. And so I eventually saw the movie. Good movie. I'd recommend it. Uh, but I really recommend the poster. Had Silence of the Lambs, Jaws, Mystic River, and A River Runs Through It. Big river theme there. Big water theme. So phase one was great. What do I mean by phase one with Clemson? When you're building a dynasty, it happens in phases. And Clemson's phase one is complete. Phase one included them getting to three national championship games. They uh, won two of them. And I was there for every single one of them. So I've been, I have had a front row seat for the rise of Clemson into uh, phase one of their dynasty. And I can call it that. This has been one of the best programs in America for quite a while now. They built it their way. They built it the Clemson way. They, um, they overcame that Clemsoning moniker. Uh, they didn't like that up there very much. So they got over that in a big way. It seems like no one ever left. Like all their talent returned, but all their coaching staff returned. And they were always ultra motivated. When they would show up, they perfected peaking at the right time. In the postseason, uh, they had, it seemed, all the first world, pro- they had basically the first world luxury without the first world problems. So they were having all the first world college football luxury, but they didn't have a uh, mass exodus of coaches. And, and they, they basically accredited that and attributed that to running their program a different way, which I don't knock. I, I actually think there's a lot of validity to that. But phase one eventually had to come to an end. I would argue about this. Even back when I was doing the independent show on YouTube and I was down in Columbus and I was doing a TV show down there, um, I would argue with some of our callers about this. Because they could never envision things changing. They thought that status quo was always going to be status quo. And if Clemson ever fell, it was going to be because they screwed up something internally or Dabo left and went, I don't know, to Alabama or the NFL or something like that. You cannot continue to just exist in phase one because the very nature of phase one brings consequences with it. And so those elements force you to go into phase two. Well, phase two is where Clemson's at right now. That don't really mean you get knocked off your perch, but I always talked about 
the difference in the fuel that was used to power Clemson into and through phase one. And it was my biggest overarching question around the program. That was what was going to happen when that fuel burned off. The fuel that Dabo used was pretty unique. That's not unique. It was unique unto maybe like Alabama that had previously been there as the other existing dynasty in college football. Um, And that fuel was doubt. That fuel was disrespect, us against the world, uh, all the motivation in the world as long as you're climbing the mountain. And it worked. They, they faced Alabama, and they beat them once. They beat them twice. I mean, they, they had really good results. But then they eventually got to the mountaintop, obviously. And then a lot of that fuel ran out. I, I thought this was really on display this last year when they got blown out by Ohio State. And I'll talk about that in a second. But so this was, to me, the transition from phase one to phase two for Clemson. When no one doubted you anymore, that in and of itself changes the formula. It changes the blueprint with which you used to get where you are. It's why... I noticed a big difference in the way Dabo was doing things and Saban was doing things. The reason Nick Saban stayed on top of the sport for a decade and a half now is because they've never relied on externals. They, they just kind of focus on themselves and it's all about process, process, process. And that sounds boring, but here's the beauty. You never have to have anyone doubt you. You never have to be an underdog. You never have to have bulletin board material because your kids aren't trained to use that as their source of motivation to begin with. Well, Clemson Dabo, he found it necessary to go about it a different way. That's fine. It worked. This is not a dude who kept coming up short. They've already won two championships. They played for more than that. But now I think they're in phase two. So phase two is when you have everyone's attention. You are no longer anyone's underdog. And also, they're, they're start to creep in. Some of these factors, try as you might to keep them out. Nothing perfect lasts forever. And so another point that I've made for a couple of years now with Clemson is, as you'll notice, they are recruiting higher rated classes on average than they have under Dabo and really under anyone prior to that. And so now what you have to guard against, and it's pretty much impossible not to let some of it in, what you have to guard against is once upon a time when they started this run, it seemed like everyone in that locker room had the collective mentality of what can I do for Clemson? All those kids were all in for Clemson. Well, then you get a lot more attention. Clemson did not used to go to California to get players. They do now. They can go coast to coast and get any players they want. I know about their filters and recruiting. I know about how high their standard is. I have it preached to me all the time. I am just trying to be real with you. You cannot stop the following element from eventually creeping into your locker room. And that element is the shifting of the mentality of what can I do for Clemson to, in some cases, what can Clemson do for me? It's natural. It's inevitable. If you're recruiting like they are, it's inevitable. That doesn't mean kids are selfish, but it does mean that maybe they're wired just a little bit differently. And that edge that you used to always be able to count on and that hair on fire mentality that you used to always be able to count on. Did it look like they had it against Ohio State this past year? No. Now, you could all you could also turn that around and you could say, I remember not too long ago, it was just 2018. We were out in California and we were watching Clemson do the exact same thing to Alabama in a championship game that Ohio State just did to them. That's right. That's right. And if you were watching me at the time when I was independent, I was talking all year long about those dynamics that had crept in for Alabama. Because people around the program, even as they were rated in the top three all year, and they were en route to winning the SEC, and they were winning a semifinal game, and they were going to the title game, their internal dynamics sucked. They didn't like them. Uh, Nick Saban didn't like that team. It was just not a good mixture. They were so talented. Just raw talent got them to the title game. But then they came up against a team that was totally all in, really talented, true freshman quarterback. Maybe you've heard of him, Trevor Lawrence. And they splattered Alabama that night. And you rarely say that about Alabama. Well, then two years later, it happens to Clemson with a bunch of the same players on the field. What happens? Well, what happens is 
the dynamics change. I don't care if you get I don't care if you get 22 combined returning starters from last year's team. You don't get the same team back. Okay, so things change constantly. These little dynamics, just these tiny shifts here and there. You never know if one guy coming into your locker room impacts 10 other guys in a slightly negative way. And so I say all that to say this. Now you get to see Dabo for really the first time in his career, and it's several years in now, have to make a fundamental adjustment. This is, in my opinion, what's happening at Clemson right now. A a fundamental adjustment. I told you the hiccups were coming, Colin. A fundamental adjustment, not in culture. They've got that as close to perfected as any university in America has. They don't change culture. What they kind of change is, you know, maybe the paint job that's on top of the foundation. Maybe they want to change the garage door, some, some cosmetic and aesthetic changes. You just have to subtly, I think, shift the way that you go about motivating and fueling your team. Because it no longer comes from everyone's doubting you, little old Clemson, us against the world. There's one other factor, surprisingly, in this entire run that has not crept in to be an issue for them. And that is no one in the ACC has stepped up. It's been several years now. No one in the ACC has stepped up. That's one thing Saban was never really able to say. Like Even though they've been perennially the most dominant team in the SEC, they've been beat down there. Like Auburn stepped up a couple of times. Um, LSU stepped up. Like There have been challengers to Alabama. Georgia's pushed them to the wire a couple of times. There have been challengers to Alabama. No one stepped up. And the best guess around here right now is North Carolina. Uh, but we'll see. You know, they've got it to do. We'll see. But right now, I think a shift to phase two of the Clemson dynasty, and make no mistake, it still is one. They haven't gone anywhere. They're going to be right in the national championship mix again this year. It's probably going to require a little bit different, just a tweak of the Clemson formula in order to pull the national championship off this year. And that's part of what makes sports beautiful. No one stays the same. When you're beating on someone, there's very little incentive for the sport to just sit still and let you beat on it. No one was going to sit still forever. Things were going to adjust. Everyone's focus was going to go to the abuser. In this case, it's Clemson. And so, well, what do you know? The sport changes. And all of a sudden, what worked for you perfectly three years ago, eh, that kind of works. And so that's sports, man. Like uh, it's not, It's not a video game. It's real life. That's how it works. All right, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, yeah, good show. About, about the right time. Earlier today on Twitter, I put something out and I asked you, if you ran a network, if you own the college football playoff contract, forget about being a fan, which four teams would you want to be in there? This may be a good time if you're watching the replay or you're just watching the individual video to maybe hit pause and think about this for a second. You own the contract. You got skin in the game. You're looking for maximum return on your investment. Which four teams? And part of the caveat here is you can't vote to expand the playoff. Okay, I saw a lot of you trying to circumvent the rules of this. No, we're going four teams the way God intended the playoff to be, and you're picking them. Who do you want in? Now, I'm going to tell you what my criteria were, and then I'll give you my four teams. So I wanted big brands, big logos in there, essentially. I wanted national appeal. I wanted uh, as many regions represented as possible, so coast-to-coast broad appeal. I wanted to mix in some new blood here. I wanted teams that haven't been there in a while, and I wanted to keep the Goliath in, so I wanted to keep Alabama in. So here are the teams I went with. And the order matters here because I was trying to set up my semifinal games in a perfect combination. So I went Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, and USC, my one, two, three, and four, which obviously, as you're seeing on the screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, that means I'd have Bama, USC in one semifinal, and I'd have Ohio State, Texas in another semifinal. This fits all my criteria, by the way, because I got 
I got one or two mega brands here that haven't been there in over a decade. Texas has not been in the playoff ever. Last time they played for a title was in 09. I think USC maybe 05. Is that right? The last time they played for a title. So neither of those have been there. There's no excuse why they haven't, but yet they haven't. And so half the field is new blood. But also what we have here is we have a couple of opportunities for major brands, national brands, to try and knock off Alabama. Now, the possible substitutes, as you're looking at these four teams, the possible subs, and some of these are valid. A lot of you wanted Oklahoma in instead of Texas. The reason I went with Texas is for the more broad national appeal. Oklahoma's been there before. Therefore, you don't get that new blood factor. And also, I think it's a huge deal to potentially... Uh, see a Sark versus Saban matchup at some point. It would be the national championship game. Uh, but uh, man, if you give me an opportunity, again, as a TV executive, if I'm owning this and you give me an opportunity to have the Texas Longhorns in the college football playoff, I'm not passing that up. Oklahoma or not, I'm not passing that up. Also, and this is really probably the most popular form of feedback I got, where is Notre Dame? There's nothing wrong with having Notre Dame in here. Like It was probably interchangeable for me as to whether Ohio State or Notre Dame or Michigan or Penn State was going to be my team from, quote-unquote, the Midwest. Now, I think Michigan, someone pretty much talked me into today Michigan being a more valid submission than Ohio State. And the thinking there was not that they have a bigger fan base or a bigger brand, but what are you losing if you put Michigan in over Ohio State? Nothing. I mean, every Buckeye fan that watches when they're in is going to watch when Michigan's in for obvious reasons. But then also, you get even more new blood in. You get Jim Harbaugh in the college football playoff for the first time ever. Obviously, you have the Midwest and the Big Ten represented. So I think that would be a really good submission. Notre Dame's a good submission, obviously. Uh, I just wanted more new blood. Like, Notre Dame's been there a couple of times. And also, for better or for worse, when Notre Dame has gotten in the playoff, a lot of you know what to expect or think you do. And you got reason to think that way. So far, you've been right. And so I just think the new blood factor, um, you could go with Michigan. I went with Ohio State just because it's the bigger brand, but I understand that point. Here's the one I did not go for. Um, There were a lot of people who said, no, I think there's a lot of Alabama fatigue. Therefore, let's get another Southern team. And you took like LSU or Georgia. Um, That doesn't work for me. First off, I got to have Nick Saban in my playoff because I want to maximize my value. There is no brand that, that carries more consequential weight nationally than Alabama. Very few people indifferent on them. People either love them or they hate them. They are basically now the New England Patriots of college football. Everyone's got an opinion of them. And the second thing is, why would I want to exclude the program and the coach that are on top of the sport right now? Like Alabama's a massive draw. And if they're not, it's only because they're skull dragon folks. So if I get them in a semifinal against USC, and again, let's just assume all these teams are good and we don't have a 17-point spread in any of these. I'm going to get them against USC, and if they win that game, I'm going to have either Bama-Ohio State or Bama-Texas in the championship game. I want Alabama in there. Uh, By a sizable margin right now, in terms of national appeal, it's Alabama and then everyone else in the SEC. I'm not saying Georgia wouldn't be a big draw, but Georgia is still becoming a national television brand. Bama is. Like, like LSU has a ways to go before they are truly a national TV brand. But people in Seattle, Miami, New York, LA, Omaha, and everywhere in between care about Alabama. So I couldn't leave them out of my playoff. The biggest gripes that a lot of you had, aside from the ones I just mentioned, was there's no Florida team here. That's true. Okay, if you want to throw Miami in there, you go ahead. 
uh, there was also no East Coast representation. And a lot of you threw on your TV executive hat and you talked about all the major markets up and down the Eastern Seaboard. And you said, don't we have to put like a Virginia or, or a Clemson in here? And my answer is, no, I don't have to. Um, the, the, the side note that a lot of you had was, I would rather sacrifice the West Coast to get another Southern team or an East Coast team or a Big Ten team even in the playoff. And I understand that. I'm taking a little bit of a risk there. But I think having someone from the LA TV market and a nationally relevant, again, USC would do more than a lot of you realize. I don't know if you, well, if you're of any age, you know, it wasn't that long ago when USC was running college football. And it wasn't that long ago, you know, in the days of Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll. I don't know how many of you paid attention to overnights, you know, Nielsen overnight ratings back in the day. USC was like an NFL team playing college football. When, when USC is relevant, like when people truly believe they're capable of winning a title, everyone cares about Southern Cal too. It becomes a very polarizing program because a lot of people who you know good and well could not name the right guard on that team if their life depended on it, end up showing up on the sideline, and you get a lot of that Dallas Cowboys type treatment for USC. So if USC is good, and for, for my purposes as a TV executive, they would be here, I think it would be a cash-in situation for me. Again, running JP Sports, not Jefferson Pilot, but JP Sports. So I would go Bama, Ohio State, Texas, USC. Uh, you can let me know. I'm probably looking forward to the comments on this particular segment more than any we've done tonight. You let me know. I don't just want to know your four teams, though. Give me some logic. Like, if you throw if you throw Washington in there, that's fine. Give me some logic behind it. Really appreciate you watching tonight. Again, make sure you like the video and you are subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel and get those submissions in to be part of next week's first-ever Late Kick Zoom Spectacular, to be named, by the way. Got a good name. Looking forward to it. May need to get a graphic to correspond with it. But joshpate706 at gmail.com is the way you can get in touch with me. We are out of here. Nice, clean show tonight in 40 minutes thereabouts. So have yourselves a great weekend for Director Emeritus Colin here in Nashville, for Jesse and crew up in Connecticut. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great weekend and God bless.